If you enjoy these speakers, please consider joining us at the OA Birthday Party this January 18th through 20th at the LAX Hilton in sunny Los Angeles. This event includes workshops, speakers, marathons, panels, special focus meetings, and more with hundreds of OA members from around the world. Registration is just $45 through Thanksgiving and $55 after that. The OA rate at the Hilton for up to four people per room is just $134 per night. There is a hotel shuttle, so you don't even need a car. If you're interested, please visit oabirthday.org for more details. All right, so now is the time for the leader to qualify. Um, and it says that I stand. Yes? All right. Hi, my name is David, and I am a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. And uh, just really grateful to be here. And thank you so much, Adam, for asking me to speak, to participate in my recovery, to, you know, be amongst fellows. And um, I want to say welcome to the newcomers. And it's just, like, really, it's so beautiful to see you guys all sitting together. And, like, that is so exactly, like, not to shit on you, but, like, what maybe you should be doing. Like, when I was new, it was really important for me to band together and, like, find my tribe, and it still is, and I still have a tribe, and, you know, those people are still super close to me today in my life, and, you know, I don't get through anything without them. And what that means is I don't get through anything without program today. Um, I don't get through anything without my fellows. I don't get through anything without God, um, my higher power, the steps, the tools. You know, that's how I live my life today. Um, for me, you know, in the beginning, obviously, it's very clear that my problem, I said, was food. You know, it's the food, it's the body, it's, you know, the obsession, it's all of the insanity. You know, uh, four years later, yes, and, you know, it's, it's, I have a living problem, right? Like, I have eyes that see the world in a way that is alcoholic. You know, I suffer from the ism. Uh, that for me stands for a couple things, you know, ISM is like instant short memory, I self me, you know, I seek misery, all of these things that for me I really relate to and really speaks to me. So, you know, for me, like I said, uh, my relationship with food, my relationship with my body was always one that was a challenge, you know, and a challenge is an understatement. It was literally what I felt was the bane of my existence. From a young boy, I would look in the mirror and say, like, something is wrong with you. You know, you're the problem. You're the reason why I can't get through life. If you were different, um, meaning my shape, my size, um, things would be better. You know, I'd have the friends I wanted. I would have the acknowledgement I wanted. I'd be cool. Um, I'd have none of the pain or chaos that was going on in my household, you know, or even if that was happening, I wouldn't care because I would have this thing. And like really from the beginning, that's what this was about for me. I was searching and I was seeking to change my body so that somehow it would just, I would forget about everything else that was going on. You know, I grew up in a household that was chaotic, you know, traumatic, uh, abusive. And honestly, like, and this is through a lot of work and a lot of research as we refer to it, like I don't believe that any of that is what made me you know, a compulsive overeater, anorexic, or bulimic. I feel like I was born with this disease. It just turns out that for me, it's a lot of nature and nurture. You know, that these things, what happened was like they added to the causes and conditions that we refer to in the book, 
you know, that really just gave my disease the ammunition to be like, see, you, can I curse? No. So, see, you are like a pizza, you know what, you know? And I was like, yeah, I am. See, and I have all of this evidence to tell me that I am, you know, a piece of, you know what? And, and I believed it. That's the biggest thing about this disease for me. It's very believable. Like, I believe it. Like, it's not even, and that's some of the stuff that I'm working on now. Because it still shows up in my life just in a very different way. It has to use different tactics. The stuff that it used before when I was new no longer uses that script and now uses a very different tone. It uses different ammunition. My life has gone in extremely different, bigger, better. It gets better, is what I want to say to you guys, too. Like, it gets better. Life is amazing today. You know, I'm so blessed. Um, I'm really blessed that I get to see familiar faces who have, like, really seen the growth, which is amazing, and, like, who I get to share this recovery with. Um, And when I walked into these rooms, like, this time, because relapse is a huge part of my story, um, when I walked in these rooms this time, like, I was, A, I was very surrendered, but B, my life looked very different from what it looks like now in the not-so-great way, right? So in that time, and I have four years, I just celebrated four years in July of continuous abstinence, um, and in that time, like, you know, I did the steps. I, I worked on self You know, I got a community of fellows, you know, I got commitments, I went to meetings, and I, and, and, you know, through sponsorship and sponsoring, you know, I've been able to deal with whatever life has brought to me, and through that, my life has changed. So, you know, during that time growing up, for me, like I said, food, my body, the controlling of it. Uh, was always the answer to anything, right? Like I said, so whether it's an abusive father, whether it's my mom who died when I was 15, it was like, this is the answer. And you know what? i got to be honest with you. I mean, obviously now through doing the work, like I know it wasn't, but it definitely, with someone who has no tools, myself, having no tools, um, you know, this disease of alcoholism, you know, and seeing the world the way that I did, it's what all I had that was working, you know, until obviously it stopped. And um, <laughs> for me, it didn't I said relapse is a huge part of my story. Like, it didn't just stop. Um, it was a very long road to recovery. Very long road. Um, and a lot of my story actually starts when... You know, I have all this, like, history of, like, meddling with the food, you know, playing with my eating disorder, kind of going through phases where I'd go in and out as a teenager. Sometimes I'd be good with it. Sometimes I'd be bad with it. Sometimes life would happen, and then all of a sudden I'm, like, stuck starving myself, you know? Um, But then eventually, like, it's a progressive disease. That's been my experience. So everything that I've heard in these rooms, and I just want to say this, like, Anything I've heard in these rooms, whether it was, like, when I first came into program in 2009, like, to, you know, now has always rang true. Like, it always comes true. I always have to experience, unfortunately, for myself before I'm willing to believe it. But, actually, that's gotten better. And I will say that's a miracle. You know, now I can say, like, I deal with, like, life stuff. And um, thank God that there's people in this program with more time than me, or even less time than me, who share honestly and vulnerably. And if I listen and allow myself to be, you know, open-minded, which is like one of our, which is one of our tenets of this program is honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. 
you know, if, I, if I'm in that open-minded state, which is so important when I'm new and stays important until now, like, I will allow myself to say, you know, maybe I don't have to put my hand on the fire. Maybe I can listen to someone else and actually hear their story and experience and say, maybe I can apply this to me too. So, you know, like I said, for me, the disease got worse. You know, I came into these rooms after a stint in an actual eating disordered rehab. Um, I went inpatient. You know, I was diagnosed anorexic with bulimic tendencies. And I like to share in a general way because something that was very much, ex- and I, but I do identify because I also think it's important for the newcomer. Like, if they need to talk to someone who has what they have or whatever, like, I'm around. But generally, and even that's what they taught me in treatment for me, and this is my belief, is that, you know, it's one disease. It happens to be a spectrum, and I just happen to fall on one end of it. But in my career of eating disorder, like, I have experienced all of it, so I do identify completely as a compulsive overeater. You know, the compulsivity of just being able to grab for food and not knowing when to stop, I completely relate to, you know, um, and even if I hate myself afterwards. And that was so much my story, you know. Um, for me, the anorexia was just very, like, and I think we've heard this in, in, in OA a lot, it was very seductive. It's like, oh, well, that's like a cool thing to have or like whatever. And for me, it was just like, happened to be my drug of choice. Like, it was, that's really what happened. And so, you know, I, I went into a treatment facility, you know, I was actually diagnosed and, um, and that was probably one of the best things that happened to me. And I can say that in my life, you know, today, um, I did not stay abstinent. You know, I was there for a long time. I was there for four months. You know, they don't get around. Um, and I learned a lot about program. I learned a lot about 12-step. I learned a lot about nutrition. You know, my hat is off always to the people who come into these rooms and, like, figure out what a meal plan is and, you know, what their abstinence looks like and all of that without having done that work because, for me, um, I don't know if I'd be able to do that, you know. So, unfortunately, I didn't stay abstinent. And, um, and like I said, this disease is progressive. So, it ended up getting worse. You know, we were kind of kidding around before when I was, like, signing, like, the sheets and saying, like, well, when did I come in a program? Like, if I'm being really honest, you know, came in when I was, like, 22, 23 years old. You know, um, I have four years, but I'm 32 now. So it was, like, a really long road until, like, I got enough information, so I had enough kind of just research and experience and enough time for like God to really come in and I think at the end of the day the first step is so much between just me and my higher power you know it is a lot of I mean for me I just had to be completely surrendered you know I could tell you about the first step you know back then on a very logical kind of like as if I was taking a test kind of here's the information here's my examples of powerlessness and unmanageability but for me it was the lived experience of the first step, it was the lived experience of, you know, what it was to be unmanageable, to really connect with my powerlessness in a way that was actually, like, experiential, that is what finally did it for me. You know, when I realized that once I start, I cannot stop, and that that stopped being, like, program jargon and was an actual belief that it had been proven true for me over and over and over again, that's when finally, like, surrender came in. Um, you know, so like I said, it got worse. I would go in and out of treatment facilities. That was kind of like my shtick for a while. Um, 
you know, and like I, I want to say, like, thank God for those places because I don't know what would have happened if I didn't have these stoppers, these like, um, what are they called, like bumpers, you know, because I might, who knows, you know, I might not be here today. I don't know. That's like, you know, God's domain. Um, I just get to be grateful that I am. So I finally, like I said, kind of connected the dots for me. Like, you know, when I got abstinent, I was not, I mean, they say struck abstinent, like my behaviors this time around were removed. How were they removed? They were removed because any time I thought, you know, and I think there's a big difference between removed and like I saying I didn't have any urges, cravings, or like the obsession, because I totally did. You know, my first year, even till up and now sometimes, you know, I was really stuck with, you know, obsessing about what I ate, um, you know, what it looked like to come in on the end of the spectrum that I did and, you know, have to put on weight um, because the body that I was living in my whole life was sick, you know, and that was one thing that they did for me, um, in treatment, they kind of broke me out of the shell of glamorizing and romanticizing this, you know, we used to call it thin, they, they broke us out of that, they, you can't call it that anymore, you're sick, you know, and when I was able to identify at sick, and identify the two at sick, you know, it was like, I, I stopped doing this thing where I was romanticizing and glamorizing and going after this ideal that was, you know, so unhealthy and destructive. Um, and like I said, so this time around, I, I would want to go and purge. I would want to skip the next meal. I would want to compulsive read or binge. And all I knew that was for me, if I did, I would die. Like, I stopped letting that be. Like, a lot of the things, like, you know, hearing other people say it was like, oh, well, that's program and, you know, maybe that's not me or that's not my experience. Like, I really just stopped. I got off the debating society. I believed. You know, I believed because that my experience showed me, like, that's what it is. You know, and then once I start, I cannot stop. And as soon as, like, that really sunk in this time around four years ago, that's when I was able to really surrender the behaviors. So that's what I mean when, like, the behaviors were surrendered. Unfortunately, you know, it was tough. It was tough to let go of, and, like, that is an ongoing journey around, you know, certain ideas around food or my body. But one thing I really had the experience of was a very thorough first step. Was that, like, you know, and A, like, I want to be here now. You know, I think that's another thing. It's like, you know, I have a really nice life today, and that's a product of Overeaters Anonymous. Like, that is a product of me showing up to program and program showing up for me and having, like, a God in my life today that I didn't experience before. You know, I have a God today because I'm abstinent, because I don't have this blockage, you know, doing X, Y, and Z that was keeping me from, like, the sunlight of the spirit, from a higher power, from community and fellows. You know, I thought I was alone my whole life because I was keeping myself alone my whole life. You know, I was keeping myself cut off from everyone and everything. For, you know, maybe reasons that come from a super wholesome place, and I've been able to do that work now by putting pen to paper, you know, which it was like, you know, you're going to hurt me, you're going to leave me, you know, everyone else does, so so will, so will you. I have to protect myself, there's no one I can depend on. All of these things come from a place of like, you know, a real wholesome place. And, you know, and through doing step work, 
which I just really want to pitch, like, so important. Like, it's so important for me to, like, not just get here and, like, take up a seat, which for some of us and for me as well, like, that's as much as I could do in the beginning. But, you know, to really get in, the first thing that I had to do was become visible in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. That meant, like, getting a commitment, having regular meetings, and getting a sponsor, you know. Then it was outreach, you know, and then it was, like, doing the actual step work, you know. And abstinence for me, um, like I said, so the behaviors were removed. And because I had had this history of, of treatment, I knew when I was finally ready, like, what the food should look like. Like, that was, you know, I, I knew. And I had to give up my, my obsession to want to control that, you know, and, and just really be surrendered. Um, <clears throat> so that's what I did. And, you know, what it looks like for me today. Um, <clears throat> so the behaviors were, were, were removed um, and life has gotten better. Like, that's, that's really real. Like, life has gotten better. Like, I, you know, have a job. I have moved up in that job. I have, like, transitioned in my life. Like, I have... Um, like I said, a great group of friends. I've reconnected with my family. I am working on connecting with others in a really authentic, genuine way that um, is real and satisfying and wholesome. You know, that still takes work, right? Like, I don't get here and I'm just done. You know, it's now I get to deal with all the things that eventually brought me to my knees, you know? And that's a real gift of this program. It's like all I wanted my whole life was to feel safe and secure. And I get that through OA and, like, doing the work. Um, you know, the things that, like, I still am challenged with, which I think is really important to talk about. Sometimes, you know, I feel like, and I, you know, I sponsor. So, like, even speaking with my sponsee, there's this, and I have the same thing. It was like, I thought, you know, you come into program and everything gets better. And, you know, you're healed right away. And you don't have to deal with anything, and life stops, and like everything, and like that is just not true. You know, it's not true. Um, but like, there's so much more that I didn't expect could be possible. I have a sponsor today, um, and one thing I heard her say, even before she sponsored me, that was so beautiful was like the idea of possible positive outcomes. This concept is so far out of reach for me. Like, to me, I'm always the negative outcome is that's the only one. And I just, like, by now I hear that. I'm always listening to, like, you know, the, her words of, like, possible positive outcomes. Like, life is not bad. You know, like, I can actually enjoy life. Um, but I have to say, the only way that I get to enjoy life today is when I'm abstinent. Like, that's another thing. So I don't, like, play around with my abstinence. It's very important and very sacred. If I want to enjoy and actually be open to possible positive outcomes, I have to be abstinent. And that comes from me doing a first step. Like, I am very much... Five, perfect. I am very much connected to the idea that, like, without abstinence, like, I don't really get to experience life fully the way that, like, I've been able to experience it for the last four years. Some of the things that I still, you know, am working on, that the layer of the onion is peeling, is the physical recovery aspect, right? So I'm finally at four years, like, at the space where, like, I need to be talking about what it looks like for physical recovery coming from, like, you know, an anorexic bulimic kind of standpoint because I think that there's so much talk about it, you know, on the other end of the spectrum 
and it does exist and it needs to be talked about at least for me like because I didn't for me there was so much of you know so much I, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror because I knew that the work that I had to do when I first got in here met me having to you know gain weight and be able to be comfortable with that weight you know and that's really important um, because if I'm willing to go to any lengths that's in that bucket you know and um, I have to be willing to go to any lengths even if that meant getting abstinent and having to get to a healthy nourishing space for my body you know and, and I've had to do that and like what does that look like for David now today in abstinence to be okay in that body to let go of this thing that was my identifier for my whole life that's a big deal and the only way that I do that is through God like God has to be a part of everything that I do I have to bring God into that situation as well and it is one of the only things if not the only thing in all of those years that I was trying to get abstinent that continued to take me up it was the one thing that the lie just was so real and so believable that like I said like it was just the belief was like you know I, it wasn't even a question I just believed these lies you know so that's where like God just like really has to exist for me um you know I'm really grateful for Overeaters Anonymous like I can't say it enough this program gave me my life back or actually gave me a life in general to be honest with you I don't know what the life I had before cool but this life is totally different you know this is a life that like is beyond my wildest dreams because I thought that a lot of the stuff that everyone else had just wasn't available to me and um, and that's not true once again one of those beliefs that you know came from the disease um, and so I'm just really grateful to be here and I just thank you guys so much for letting me share alright this is the time for questions only there's no sharing at this meeting if you need to share please do so with any of us after the meeting also please remember that the opinions of the leaders are are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole when asking questions you need not identify yourself uh, please remember if you ask a question your voice may be audible on the OA podcast Um, you mentioned that your parents have a, a good relationship now with your family. Can you talk about like your dad? You mentioned briefly and the process, particularly kind of the fourth and ninth steps. Sure. Um, so the question was, uh, I had mentioned, you know, that I have a good relationship with my family today, but I had mentioned also briefly about my father. Um, and our history and how the fourth and ninth step has worked in that relationship so uh, you know good is relative right so what that means is is that um, it means is that I've chosen to have okay so this is real transparent I've chosen to continue a relationship with my father right when I get better it doesn't mean that it's not to take anything away from him his his journey is, has been his journey um, and he has gotten better right like um, because time will do that to some people I don't know if that works for me I have to be in these rooms and I have to do the step work um, for me it wasn't an option to cut off relationships with my father who when growing up was very abusive and even till this day can be very toxic right 
what I have to get honest about is that he's very toxic sometimes for me in my recovery. Um, so that means I have to be willing to do the work to practice boundaries around this person. If I want to keep a relationship with him, which I do, um, I practice very strong boundaries. I'm extremely grateful for the way this man has shown up for me in my life today. He has. You know, I went through treatment, I said, in numerous amounts of times. He was there. Um, he shows up for me now, today in my life still. But it's a yes and conversation. I can't just allow that to be everything. Well, he's done all this now, and so I get to sign up for, you know, all of the X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank, right? So, and I don't. And that took a really long time, and that was a lot of, you know, so fourth and ninth steps. So four for me um, is all about my patterns, right? Like, that's what it is. It's not about looking at his part. If I get stuck on his part, I'm going to get stuck. You know, I looked at my part. What is my part in this relationship? What is my part in all of these relationships? You know, these experiences that I've had in my life. And I'll be honest, like with nine, I was this thing where I was like, oh my God, I could never do a nine step in amends with my dad. Because, you know, to be honest with you, I held a lot of resentment still towards him. Um, <laughs> this is the funniest part. Is we did the nine step and it was so lackluster. It was like, you know, because he's still him. And like, honestly, hearing... He took it as, see, I was right. Everything, and that is the way that he took it. And I didn't get to say anything, because that's how we do this. And I was like, okay. And I did my part. You know, I cleaned up my side of the street and stated my amends. I acknowledged my part and the things that really weighed heavy on me that I really did, you know, dirty up in our relationship. And, um, and, I, and I need to not ask for anything back from him in that moment, right? That's the ninth step for me. Um, so I know that I'm clean. And I think what that did for me later was that it, it helped me now be able to state the really healthy, healthy boundaries that him and I have today. So that our relationship, he might not connect that those boundaries is what's keeping our relationship alive. But I know that they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the question was, um, you know, how does one get out of, like, the amnesia state of, like, the forgetting and uh, stay tuned into this program? Is that right? Yeah. right. So, um, and that's very real. And you're not unique with that. I think it actually, I mean, not I think, it talks about this in length in the big book for a reason, because we all experience that. Um, it talks about the curious mental blank spot. How did I get here again? Why does this keep happening? Um, and that is like the disease for sure. And so for me, like, and I had a sponsor, and it, like, God bless her, I love her so much. Um, she's no longer my sponsor, but she was the one who sponsored me in other abstinence, in the beginning of the first four years of this abstinence, and you know what she told me? She said, you know, the first step, and I never connected this, she said, we don't do the first step in here. We do the first step out there. 
So for me, when I finally stopped shaming myself about how long it took for me as far as my road to recovery, and I looked at that as that was all the information that I needed to build my first step, and that's going to look different for all of us. You know, and that's how I stay tuned in, was I finally had done enough research. I had finally built up enough of a case to that, for that real admission of powerlessness. Um, but the way that I stopped forgetting, you know, if we want to just go with that term, um, I have to show up to meetings. I have to show up to meetings. I have to be of service. Um, and I have to do the work. You know, that is what does it. That's what keeps me tuned in. If that's specifically to answer your question, that's what keeps me tuned in. Nothing else. What is your current higher power? And if it's changed in this wow. How has it changed just in the past four years? We don't have to go way back to childhood. No, totally. Um, what is my higher power and how has that changed in the last four years? Which is such a great question for me because not only has it just, it's just starting, I'm in a real transition phase with my higher power in the last couple weeks. Um, which is really, it's weird for me because I'll tell you, like, I came in, um, like, you know, there's, it talks about it in the book, there's, most of us, we come in in different ways with God. You know, there's the total disbeliever, uh, there's the, you know, bewildered one, or there's the one that's like, I'm doing all those, this faith stuff, like, and like, that was me. I was like, I always had a higher power. Like, I grew up having conversations with God, like, with my mom. Like, so we were very spiritual. And, and you know, my higher power actually really grew. Because I didn't really go into it a lot. My, my bottoms, multiple, were very dark. Like, super dark. Um, and I got to say, like, that, that, those experiences really enlarged my higher power. To me, when I look at, like, how desperate, how isolated, how alone, how without light I was, like, to me, that says there must be a God. You know, if I was able to live through what I lived through to get to where I am at today, like, I felt very much connected to a power greater than myself. So I've had this huge concept of a higher power. And then recently... So one of the things that's eluded me uh, in this abstinence is a relationship, right? And the relationship has become like the new thing. <laughs> so that is like, you know, this will fix me. And also very much tied into my eating disorder. It's like a gauge of like if I'm attractive enough, if I'm, my body's okay, like all this kind of stuff. Like because that hasn't happened, uh, the disease, like I said, using different ammunition, this is what it's using now. It's like hooked in sinker, and it's working, to be honest with you. I, I'm abstinent, I'm doing my work, like I do everything, blah, blah, blah. But it's starting, it was starting to really, like, you know, wear down on this higher power, this really big concept of God. And finally, like, I got honest about this recently in a meeting, how I really had to challenge this, my God. And um, I got to be angry. You know, my God got to get larger through that, me being angry at my higher power. I got to be really honest and vulnerable and talk about that experience. Um, I got to put pen to paper about it, and I got to speak to my sponsor. And just this week, she said to me, you know, what's your, what I'm, I'm actually in the seeking process still. You know, and that's maybe something that I thought because I had this really large concept of higher power that I was done with, like, second step. And the truth is that my God is expanding. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out new rays of light that I didn't know existed. I'm also figuring out what is God and what isn't. 
Okay, so these things that I was blaming God for, I can understand how it's not of like it's not God's fault, you know, and that like people are people, you know, and I can't put everything on this higher power. You know, and that's been it's alert I'm so I'm very much in this transition phase right now. God is expanding and growing for me. So thank you for asking that question. Um, so I said I believed the lies of the disease. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was just a given. At, well, so what I said was, and the, the only thing that works with that is bringing in God to the situation. Um, so what I mean by that is, um, so I can't, as we've all heard, like I can't, the lies all live in my head, right? So I can't think my way into healthy thinking. So that means that like I have, and also when I'm in it, I'm in it. Like I'm going to believe all of this BS. Like that's the truth. So the only thing that can really break that and what I really learn in the same way that like my abstinence is a gift that I don't actually give myself, God does. Like God is the thing that like keeps me abstinent because a lot of times I'm believing the lies but I'm going through the motions of program until the lies are removed. And just the same way, like, that is, you know, uh, my abstinence is a result of a higher power. Like, God keeps me abstinent and sober while I'm in my crazy. You talked about not being where you want to be in terms of your physical recovery. What does that look like compared to where you are today? So this is the thing. So (laughs) I talked about not... Okay, uh, can I repeat your question? Can you, uh, I talked about, you said, I, where I want to be in my physical recovery. So that is, that is the disease, right? <laughs> like, that's not, when I say things like that, that is my disease. What I'm saying is, is that I am not, how do I, I don't like, so my thing, part of my abstinence, it's not part of my abstinence, but part of what I need to do in order to be abstinent is like I don't use numbers, I don't use skills, things of that nature. So I'm not in the body that I was when I came into the program. Um, the body that I have today is acceptable. Where I am challenged is that it's not the body that I came into program with. So my disease uses this as ammunition, uh, I'm a, like, recovery, David, will tell you that this body is okay. You know, and it's enough, and more than enough, and fucking awesome. Sorry, there it <laughs> um, But, you know, if, if I don't get the things that I want, you know, if, if that relationship doesn't happen, it's all because of this body. That's what I'm talking about. So, like, that is the work for me. You know, it's hard. And so what I want to say, and that's why I said it's so important to talk about physical recovery coming in. Of like, yeah, where I came in, or if I'm not talking about it, nothing's going to change. Um, and what I want to say, and what I think is true for all of us, is that the spiritual recovery has to come first. Um, and if that is my main focus, when I'm connected to the God and connected to the spiritual aspect of this program, or just connected to the actions, this will take care of itself. I truly believe that. Not instantly. What happens is, is my time is devoted to other people. My time is devoted to showing up for programs, to doing my service commitments. I'm not stuck in the self-obsession that is, 
is this body in us? Like, is this new body okay? Is this new body acceptable? Because that is the chatter. Um, when I'm not in all of that great positive stuff, I'm in that. I don't love me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, okay, so the question was, uh, I mentioned the concept of possible positive outcomes and how do I balance that with not having too high expectations? And I get your question. That's a good one. Um, I think the balance is... For me, the balance is bringing in the concept of possible positive outcomes. There was no balance before. It was only the one side of it. It was only only the worst can happen. And so bringing in the same, just that it's a possibility doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, but it's possible. And then that brings in the balance. You know, it was just this my whole life. You know, and what that did was it kept me self-reliant. It kept me relying on self, which it talks about in the book. Like, that's all, like, I'm just relying on self instead of relying on a higher power. You know, all of that was like, because I needed to, I was in fear. So I had to take control of the rings and blah, blah, blah. If I can let go and just say, like, yes, this could happen, like, meaning the negative or challenge or whatever, uh, but this could happen to the possible positive outcomes. And just to hold space that that's, a, a possibility, you know, and I think that if I'm connected to gratitude, really connected to my gratitude, like doing a gra- like in action wise, meaning like doing a gratitude list, like you know, f- putting my attention and focus there, I, I I see that there is definitely possibility for positive outcomes, right? Because I have this whole list to show me, you know, I have a life to show me like there's things to be grateful for, you know. I hope that helps. So the question was, do I share my any sort of recovery or my OA experience outside of these rooms? Um, no. I mean, that's really, that's, uh, I mean, I, like, and, and I don't mean that in a way because I'm ashamed or anything like that. I think, you know, my recovery is the most sacred thing in my life. It is the thing that I hold to the most highest regard. And it's not that I won't share it. It's just that, like, I'm not going to put it up for someone to, you know, make judgments or tear down or someone who's not going to get it. It says, in, you know, I don't keep on going back to the literature, but, like, you know, it says, like, you know, one alcoholic helping another is without parallel. It doesn't say, like, one compulsive reader helping a normie is without parallel. You know, and the reason why my experience is is that because they don't get it. You know, so why am I going to, like, you know, now... Am I going to 12-step someone if, like, they need real help? Of course. You know, the hand of OA is always there. Um, That's different, you know. Um, 
I say like this is the most sacred spiritual my prized possession like I'm going to hold it in that regard Um, so the question was um, quickly the question was you know how do I um, sorry how do I not use other things to mask my pain as far as food goes yeah so well that's the thing so abstinence for me is a pretty um, comprehensive so I don't get to, and this is for me, like, you know, it's, I, I, because of, I went inpatient, so they were very, very, they like, kind of, you know, beat us over the head with, you know, I can't engage in any aspect of the disease. So that meant, you know, binging, purging, or restricting, like, it's off the books for me. Uh, it's off limits. And my experience had been that, like, and so how do I not do that is because if I know that I'm going, I struggled with this a lot in my first year, like grabbing for food choices that um, are not like on my app, like I can't eat them, but like eating them would trigger me. You know, eating them would want me to, you know, purge. And once I got enough information of that, that it was like, I'm doing this thing and I'm not purging or I'm not restricting over it, but it's really affecting me. It's driving me crazy. Like, I just had to be in enough pain to stop doing it. And that's really where, like, a lot of change occurs here is, um, you know, and I heard this in my first year, I know we have to wrap, so um, this kind of applies to a lot of things, was, you know, rarely do I just stop behaviors when I'm just slightly uncomfortable. I have to be beating over the head in pain for me to, like, really give things over, so. Oh, anyone? I don't know. Yeah. So what is my abstinence? My abstinence is three meals a day and optional snacks in between if I need them. Um, and definitely if I'm not going to eat, like, over a five-hour period, you know, it's time for me to eat something. Um, I don't abstain from any one food group. Um, I practice balance, moderation, and variety. Thank <laughs> you.